listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma, and I'm your host, Trish Gloss. She's a cookbook author, recipe developer, and an award-winning food stylist, but a lot of you may know her from YouTube or her Instagram channel, Erin Jean McDowell, baker extraordinaire. This girl says she grew up baking, and before she went to culinary school, right after high school, by the way, she went to two different cooking schools. One was called Mom's Kitchen, the other was called Grandma's Kitchen. Two very different places, she says, but she learned so much from both of them, things that she still carries with her today. We talk a lot about the cookbooks that she's written over the last few years. Book of Pie may ring a bell for some of you. Another one, Savory Baking, coming out October 11th. She's really excited to showcase and highlight some of these recipes that she's been baking for years. We had so much fun in this interview, but one of the biggest takeaways for me was whatever project that you're working on, something creative that you're doing, something you really, really, really want to do, it all comes down to timing. Here's Erin Jean McDowell. In your car this morning, joining in your car. I love (laughs) it. Hi, Erin Jean McDowell. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for understanding that sometimes bakers, bakers be on the road. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Bakers be on the road. You are a cookbook author, a recipe developer, award-winning food stylist. A lot of people have seen you. um, You're also a contributor for Food 52. So a lot of people know you really from Instagram, which is where I found you and was instantly drawn to your charisma, your personality with a capital P. Seriously, no. Um, I mean, I'm a food Thank nerd. You. I'm a food nerd too, just like you. So, um, I think when we see someone on camera who really enjoys what they're doing, we kind of like glob on. <laughs> well, I feel so lucky because you know, it's it's truly for me. I'm having so much fun anytime I'm in the kitchen. So the fact that it's my job, the fact that I get to do it every single day, mm-hmm. the fact that I can share what I know with other people. So. Um, it's it's wonderful to know that 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 jumps off the screen or the page, whichever it may be, because that's definitely what I'm trying to put out there. Well, it does. Uh, you have succeeded. Do you go by Aaron Jean or do you go by Aaron? I do go by Aaron Jean. Jean is actually my middle name, though, so it's not you know a hyphenate double first name situation. Jean was my grandmother, who actually is the person that I started baking pies with when I was about 14 years old. And um, I sort of use my full name in kind of homage to her to commemorate her. Um, I wasn't published for the first time until after she was already passed. So for me, it was sort of like a way to kind of imprint her because she's imprinted in everything I do already. Mm, Oh, my gosh. I love that so much. Um, My my grandmothers were incredibly special to me, both of them fabulous cooks. And I feel like both of them are the reason why. I'm, I, I have discovered the kitchen too. So, okay. We're going to talk about your grandma because I love a good grandma story. <laughs> does anybody, I'm sorry. I'm stuck Who on doesn't? Does anybody call you EJ? You know, no, but a lot of people do think my name is Emily, unfortunately, because of, of Instagram, because my handle is E McDowell. And I think everyone just sees, sees M you know, EM, and they assume my name is Emily. So no one's ever called me EJ, but I've had a few nicknames uh, through the years. My favorite one is Mickey (laughs) for McDowell, I guess. I kind of liked being called Mickey. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty cute. Um, Well, 
if you and I were pals, I would most definitely call you EJ. It just kind of I like it flows. <laughs> it flows. Um, Aaron Jean McDowell, yes. where are you from originally? I am from Lawrence, Kansas, um, which is, uh, you know, Kansas is a lovely, lovely rectangle. And in the top right hand corner, there is uh, what I like to call formally as a little doodly doot. And uh, Lawrence, Kansas is right in that little doodly doot and uh, proudly from that little doodly doot. <laughs> Fantastic. I love I love that you're from a doodly doot. Um, and then you kind of already answered this, but um, tell me more. Like, did you grow up with food? Did you grow up cooking in the kitchen? I mean, I know you already said grandma played a huge role when it comes to baking. Yes, my grandma definitely. And also my mom. My mom is a fantastic cook and baker. And, um, you know, the kind of mom that when I was growing up, she was making pretty much everything from scratch. So she was making lots of homemade bread and she's, she's a great cook. She um, still now my parents grow about a big chunk of the vegetables that they eat in a year. And my mom cans and pickles and you know, she's definitely uh, a domestic goddess as, as there ever were. So I, I was definitely around food and had an appreciation for food. It did take me a while to kind of figure that out. Um, I kind of wanted to be an artist when I grew up and I didn't know in what capacity. I have three older brothers and two of them, one is a painter and one is a photographer. Wow. So there's a lot of artistic ability sprinkled in there. And I wanted to be, I think, kind of like my older brothers and be an artist, but I, um, I wasn't very good at art. You know, I would put pen to paper and things things didn't come out. And I was away at camp one summer when I was about um, 15 and I'd been baking pies with my grandma for a little while doing other things. And um, and it just kind of clicked that that food could be an art form. And I really liked food and I was interested in it. And I had been doing it my whole life, you know, lots of food based traditions like gingerbread houses with my mom and, um, you know, I was baking cookies by myself, you know, unsupervised at a fairly young age because I, I liked being in the kitchen. So um, once it clicked in my head, you know, all the pieces really just fell into place. And I got my first job in a bakery when I was 16 years old. And then I headed off uh, to pastry school as soon as I graduated from high school. Wow. So it clicked for you really, really early then. <laughs> I feel really lucky about that, actually, yeah. you know. I also think that, you know, one of the things is people might find multiple things that they are that passionate about over the course of their life. But I always do feel like one of the things that I, I was very lucky and and I just am so thankful for that I discovered it and that that bell kind of clicked um, at an early age because I always wanted to, I, I loved writing. And what was so cool about food was it allowed me to combine all of these things that I really loved. I could write about food. I could, um, you know, kind of get on a stage and talk about food, demonstrate how to make food. So there was a lot of different things that, that I loved and that I had enjoyed my whole life, but that I never thought I would do professionally. Mm -hmm. That then once I figured out that food was kind of that missing link, it, it all just really fell together in a in a very delicious way. Delicious. Brilliant. Um, I love the fact too, you know, you said you wanted to be an artist, but food, I think food is such a huge form of art. I mean, everything, especially yes. I would say, you know, when you're plating something, yes, but when you're baking, depending on what it is, if it's a pie, if it's a biscuit, I mean, it has to look real pretty. 
Yes. And the prettier it looks, you know, that saying we eat with our eyes first. Certainly if something looks beautiful and doesn't taste good, what a bummer. There's no bigger bummer in the world. But when something looks incredible, like one of my favorite moments as a baker is to walk in holding a baked good or a tray of baked goods and see adults have like a reaction that little kids would have, you know, like, oh, you know, these kinds of things. That's just pretty much all I'm living for in this life. Like I am trying to make that happen as many times as possible. And that's that's kind of what fuels my fire. <laughs> I love that. Fantastic. Um, you said grandma's name was Jean? Yes, Jean McDowell. And as far as her, her baking skills, I mean, what was she or was she known for anything? Was it pies? Was it cakes? What? You know, she wasn't necessarily, I, I think one of the main things that we knew her for in the family, come to think of it, was some bread. She loved making fresh baked bread and she would make this roll recipe that had been passed down from another member of my family. And, um, and you know, my mom still kind of says sometimes, you know, like, oh, no, no ones are as good as, as Nana's were and all mm -hmm. these things. So, um, but I think the biggest thing with my grandma, my mom is really probably you know, uh, my mom is a great cook. And in fact, my grandma, I think was even a little intimidated by my mom. This was my paternal grandmother, my, um, my, uh, my dad's mom right. that, that I am talking about. And she, um, my mom just, you know, was a very ambitious cook, always trying new things and, you know, making lots of different options and, and that kind of stuff intimidated my grandma a tiny bit. But what I loved about cooking and baking with my grandma is there was so much more experimentation like in my mom's kitchen and love my mom deeply but in my mom's kitchen there were a lot more rules you know like and I needed to you know leave things the way I found them but in grandma's kitchen it was a lot more like throwing flour around and yeah let's add nutmeg even though it doesn't say to add nutmeg and you know we were like experimenting a lot more and when I look back on it I actually realized that I was kind of learning to develop recipes in my grandma's kitchen because I was taking those chances and I was trying different things and really in a lot of ways I learned how to cook and bake from my mom but it was my grandma who sort of I, I don't I think it's really fascinating too because even when we started baking pies together we 100 started baking pies together because we liked eating pie mm -hmm. and there weren't a lot of great places in the area to get a really really good pie um and so we just started doing it and we would get together and play cards while the dough chilled and you know while it was baking and stuff and it was just like a way to spend a day together um but you know she, we didn't know it at the time, but she was really like directly feeding this passion that ultimately kind of became my, my life's work. And I, uh, I just am so grateful to her. And, and that's one of the many reasons I credit lots of members of my family for being inspiration still to this day. But, but the thing with grandma, it was, it was special. Like a lot of people have with their grandmas. Oh, that's so amazing. You had two, you really had two incredible teachers and your mom and your grandma and your mom sort of kind of taught you the rules, right? And, and, yes, and yes. because in a kitchen, things do have to be placed back where you found them. I mean, that's just, you know, d especially depending on a professional kitchen. Oh, no, I definitely. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. here's grandma yeah, and... helping you think outside the box. Yeah, yeah. And mom's kitchen was a little better stocked than grandma's too. But again, <laughs> there's a lesson to be learned from that. You know, at, at my mom's kitchen, I had access to everything that I needed. 
And at my grandma's kitchen, sometimes we were, you know, rolling pie dough out with an olive oil bottle, you know, and uh, that, that has become handy in my career too, though, because there was always this thing she would even say sometimes like that her mom would bake pies and they didn't have a refrigerator, you know, for most of her childhood. And so she was saying, you know, um, if she could do it in those conditions, we can definitely do it now. We've got a fridge, we've got all these things that we need. So um, that was, that was inspiring too, in its own way. So lots of, lots of lessons always hidden in those moments where we don't realize it. That's, that's, something to take away. Yeah. And absolutely pay attention. I have so many friends who still have grandmothers in their life and I'm just, I'm jealous, obviously. Um, Me my, too. <laughs> you know, my grandmothers were huge. My mom's mom passed away in 2019 and I have, I have like some of the things from her kitchen, including a ginormous cast iron pot. I've talked about it several times oh. on this podcast and you open the lid, no heat underneath it. And it smells like her kitchen. Oh, right. Love that. I know. Oh, if only you could bottle it. I know. Candle it. <laughs> There's got to be a company out there that can do that. I would love to candle that smell. Right. Yeah. But also, what a great tool. I mean, some of those things, one of the things I took from my grandma's kitchen were her wooden spoons. And they're actually pretty old, and I may not even be able to keep them forever, you know, because, you know, sometimes those do get worn down. You know, mm -hmm. wood is not a perfect material, but. They are just, they're so smooth and they're angled just right. And like, I remember using that specific one for specific tasks yeah. and you just get really emotionally attached to things like that. Those are the things with the most value in my home for sure. I, I could not agree more. There were, there were a lot of things that I, I could have taken from her house, but it's like, I want the pot and I want these four little coupe champagne glasses that I remember drinking oh, I out it. of when I was little. And those were the things that meant the most to me. And that, that's what I said. That's what I want. That's what I held on to. So I just, oh. I love a good grandma story. They're the best. So you knew, um, and you called her Nana. Well, that was my great grandma. I actually did not ever meet her, but she was, uh, she was also kind of a great baker and passed okay. down a number of recipes uh, through and and that was actually it's a kind of an interesting my, my family history is particularly um, lots of great cooks and bakers through the years but you know self-taught or taught by family themselves so a lot of those passed down traditions and there's a lot of people that I didn't meet including actually my grandma's husband um, my grandpa passed away before I was born and um it was like in some ways I feel like some of the ways that I know him are through food learning what he liked, or this was his favorite. And mm -hmm. I never even met these people, but I have these, you know, facts of, of things in the way that they liked things, the way that they did things. And so, yeah, that's the family definitely is deeply rooted and touches everything that I do. And, and actually is a big inspiration. I just moved back to my, my home area uh, earlier this year. So after a long time in um, Hudson Valley in New York and uh, New York City adjacent New Jersey. <laughs> I moved back to um, Kansas City. Uh, so about 40 minutes from where I grew up. And one of my brothers is five minutes away. And, um, you know, my nieces and nephews, and it's just, mm -hmm. it's lovely to be back there and, and a, a fresh source of inspiration. Oh, that's so beautiful. Well, cheers to grandma, cheers to your mom, cheers to all the people in your family that really helped 
mold you and, and had all these things to do with you and who you are now. I just think that's and yours and yep. grandmas everywhere. Cheers mm-hmm. to all of them. Go grandmas. I love, ugh, I love grandmas and grandpas. I don't want to discriminate. I love grandmas and grandpas for sure. Yes, that's so true. Grandmas and grandpas. <laughs> After high school, you said you went to pastry school right away. So this was, you know, yes. you, this clicked for you for sure. Um, and you went to pastry school back East, I believe, right? Yes. I went to the Culinary Institute of America, which is in Hyde Park, New York. And, um, and loved every moment of it. It was, it was pretty amazing. Um, it, you know, at school there, the curriculum is kind of, or at least I should say at the time that I was in school, cause I do believe it's actually changed. But when I was in school, you studied one subject somewhat intensely for three weeks at a time. And then you moved on to a next. So it was this block system structure and I just loved it because you know it was just like three weeks of making bread and then three weeks of candy and then three weeks of cakes and uh it was just awesome deep dives for sure and then after that um I read that you were a food stylist so what came first after pastry school what did you dive into first Well, my first job when I got uh, done with school, I worked for, I actually kept working at the school that I went to. So they had a a cookbook publishing department that produced a number of different books each year. Some were professional titles that they actually used in the curriculum at the school. Um, Their most famous one is called The Professional Chef or Pro Chef, which has had, I think at this point, 10 editions or so. Um, It's a really big, you know, encyclopedic book. Um, and so I was working on some of those professional titles and also they did some cookbooks for people at home. And, um, again, this was like this, you know, intersection of figuring out that my love of writing could maybe translate and my knowledge of food, they could come together in something. And part of my job was editorial. Like I was doing a lot of editing and writing and all of those things. But part of my job was to help with the photo shoots that they would do. So, um, when I started working on those photo shoots and I started making connections with some of the photographers and whatever, I I started started to learn that um, one of the ways to be successful in food media would be to wear many hats. If I was just a writer, if I was kind of just, I was only gonna be able to pick up certain jobs. But if I was also a food stylist, um, you know, there's there's some, some money and lots of opportunities to be made there. So I started kind of, pursuing that route. And what ended up being interesting was the food styling was the foot I needed to get in the door at a lot of places to start writing and doing recipe development and other things. So a lot of the places where I work now, I kind of started there as, uh, you know, hands for hire sort of food stylist, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, um, would maybe bring in some well-placed scones or biscuits and <laughs> convince them that, um, you know, I, I didn't just like to make food pretty. I also liked to, you know, make, make yeah. great recipes. I think that's really good advice. Honestly, I know in the news business, especially when you're starting out, it's really important to learn all of the things we had reporters who were just reporters, but then they were learning how to do weather so they could fill in and yes. do weather. And then as an anchor, it was incredibly important for me to always learn how to edit, edit video. If we had got a new system and if even if I wasn't doing a lot of the editing, I was like, I really want to learn this new software. And I cannot tell I cannot tell you how important that is, especially now after I've left the news business. And I can all of these skills that I learned in the newsroom, I'm putting them to use in some way now and yes. the afterlife. 
<laughs> so, but that's good well, advice for yeah, anybody in that, in that first job. Soak it all in, learn all the things, do all the things. Yes. And, and also that, um, you know, especially in a non-traditional job application, you know, there are no rules, right? So like you can be a food writer and also do two or three other things here and there to kind of, uh, you know, bring in, you know, keep the, keep work steady, keep work. And I think that was the thing that was, um, I worked in that job, that first job I had after school, I worked in that job for five years. And one of the reasons I worked there for so long was because I was really scared of going freelance. I was pretty terrified to not have a regular weekly paycheck mm. or bi-weekly paycheck or monthly or whatever. I was just nervous about it. And in the end, um, you know, it ended up being the best move I ever made. When I went freelance, I was just like, oh, and this suits my life so much better. And I think creative people, I think I thrive a little bit more in a less nine to five sort of work environment. And I certainly actually work much harder <laughs> than, I, than I ever did when I worked in a more traditional office setting. Girl, I feel you. I mean, I was, I was like a, a 10 hour day person in the newsroom for most, most of the days and scared shitless to leave that job, leave a consistent <laughs> paycheck. I would wake up in the middle of the night and my husband's like, we're going to, we're going to be fine. And I'm like, but we're not going to be fine. I have to contribute. What am I going to do? And I think, yeah, you, um, because of that, I help, I think that fuels a little bit of, of the fire, right. To keep going. Mm -hmm. And I work harder now, I feel like than I ever did when I was in, in news. So yeah, I feel that a hundred percent. Yeah. And I think when you are able to work for yourself, one of the advantage or not even working for yourself, because I work for lots of other people all mm -hmm. the time, but, um, you know, you have that ability then to pursue some of the things that you're most passionate about. And certainly at the beginning, when I started as a freelancer, my attitude was just say yes to everything. And I did. And, you know, then you get to a certain point where you realize like, oh, I don't, I don't have to say yes to all of these things. And, and frankly, saying yes to all of these things is going to burn me out really quick. So, um, you know, when I reached that point that I was mostly working on my own projects, I remembered, you know, that was as close as getting a promotion or something that would happen in a typical office environment that, you know, might make you feel really like, oh, I did it. I, I've nailed it. You know, I'm succeeding. It was like when I realized I wasn't really taking on work for other people and I was focusing on my own stuff, I was like, oh, I did it. You know, like that was a, a real moment. I, I feel like it's like parallel universe over here. Um, it's lots of conversations lately about figuring out how much you're worth, right? Like mm. you're, you're going for this job and it's like, cool, what's your rate? And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And all my girlfriends are like, you need to figure this out. Like you are worth, do not, do, uh, right? Like giving me pep talks and, you know, you need to <laughs> ask for this and ask for this. And it's, it's very, it's very intimidating, but it's also incredibly, it's been a, such a huge learning curve and a process to figure out how much you're worth, like how, and be reasonable, right? And not be absolutely ridiculous. Oh, completely. I mean, I still really struggle with this, to be honest. And I, you know, uh, my, my husband sometimes says Midwest nice, you know, I'm, I'm very, mm. I'm a nice person. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, there's a difference between being nice and also, you know, like being honest about what you're worth and what, you know, you can, 
you can be firm about what you're worth and, and be standing up for yourself and not be not nice. You know, like it, it's, it's possible. will say, I still really struggle with that. And I think it's also really difficult because, you know, worth is constantly changing and evolving in this industry that is also constantly changing and evolving. So especially as somebody who makes a huge part of my job connections and everything using the internet, well, every change of the internet that comes along affects me greatly. And if I have to be adapting to that as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, I think that's one of the things uh, I do have one friend who just pretty much always says, though, I don't care. I'm not going to ask you how long ago you did it. Just raise your prices. <laughs> She's been saying it to everybody all the time. She's like, yeah. how much are you charging? You know what? No, just raise your price. <laughs> yeah, I have that friend too. Yeah, it's it's comforting. <laughs> but it, I'm I'm Southern nice. I'm Southern polite. So I find that same struggle. And, Got it. Right. And so you're just like, please, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then I'm like, stop saying sorry. Just just ask for it. What's the worst that what's going to happen? They're going to say no. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And especially um, one of the things that I have learned, I think in this last year specifically, is I have said no to some things and been really nervous about the saying no, you know, we couldn't reach an agreement or it wasn't quite right, whatever it is. I was so nervous about saying no. And every single one of those things that I said no to, that decision ended up being 100% right, either because something else came up right after it, you know, but up and I'm not saying that there's going to be no regrets ever, but um, no is a delightful, powerful word. <laughs> it truly is. There's a interview I did a while back and his uh, best advice, the answer to his best advice question was that no sometimes is the best answer because it really puts you down a different path. Uh, maybe sucks. Yes is always great, right? But a no can really change just change your direction and put you on a path that you were like, okay, that's good. I'm d- okay. I'm going over here then. So yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. A thousand percent. That's always something that's, that stuck out to me. Um, so you're doing all of the things you're writing, your food styling, your baking. I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is there a point where you just start to get noticed that you're just like, who, who is this Aaron Jean McDowell? chick like what is happening uh I'm smiling because it actually it's wild how I feel like this happened I definitely had clients who started putting me more in the front which was really appreciated because I was I felt like I had been kind of trying to work towards that but I think I also still thought maybe I had a ways to go um the the first time I was noticed with a capital N was by my literary agent Doe Coover Um, She was actually literary agent for another author, a fabulous author named Dora Charles. And I was the food stylist for Dora's book, um, which we were shooting in Savannah, Georgia. And um, on the very first day of working together, uh, Doe said to me, first of all, her name is Doe, you know, D-O-E, but I love that I'm a baker and my agent's name is Doe because it just makes me smile every single day. Pretty good. Um, Pretty good. My Doe said to me, right? <laughs> she said, a book. I remember just being like, I, I really want to do that. But I, I think I thought I was still a ways off, but we started working together almost immediately. But the real time that I felt like things clicked in the way that you're describing was during the pandemic. So of course it was amplified in a number of directions 
by the fact that it was starting to happen and I was stuck at home and didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. So um, pandemic hits and everyone starts baking and I have a web series that provides tons of free information about baking. So um, people were suddenly watching me on YouTube, you know, just devouring these episodes mm-hmm. of my series, Bake It Up a Notch. And um, the show is really about diving very deep into a single subject. So for example, I actually have four, no, five episodes about pie. Um, and one of them is about pie crust and pie dough and it's almost two hours long. And people watch it all the way through it. It's fascinating. But during the pandemic, of course, this was incredible information. Uh, you know, I had all manner of people, parents who were trying to keep kids entertained, um, uh, kids who were, you know, not going to college and were, you know, looking for things kind of, to, you know, just there were so many different stories. And I didn't realize that all of this noticing was happening until I finally left my house, you know, after quarantine. And suddenly I'm having people sing the theme song to the show to me on the street. And um, people were asking for pictures. I mean, it was wild because it wasn't like that before. So I went into the pandemic feeling kind of unknown and I came out of it. My life had completely changed. (laughs) Mind blown. (laughs) That isn't that insane. That's crazy. It was wild. The power of the internet, the power of the whole world being stuck at home. I mean, there's also other serendipitous things, you know, late in 2019, I wrote a banana bread recipe for New York Times cooking. Well, we had no concept that banana bread was going to be like the thing to bake as of early 2020, (laughs) when everyone is stuck at home. You know, I mean, there's just all of these things that, that, um, you know, lined up sort of strangely perfectly. And of course, I hate to even say that in some ways, because the pandemic was such a, Mm -mm. is such a crazy time for so many people. And especially in the food industry impacted so many people so negatively, and revealed so many deeper issues and and all of these things. And, um, and for me, who already was mostly working at home, you know, it it didn't change much, except Mm -hmm. for who was watching and the number of people watching. You know, yes, the pandemic was just this horrific time in our lives. But I think for a lot of us, we're finding some gold nuggets out of the turd that was the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And so um, a lot of us for it, it, cha- it really did change our lives for the better. It made us kind of go, I don't want to be doing this. I want to be doing this. And for you, it launched you into like a level of success. Did food... 52, is this where they came in? I had already been working with Food 52. Okay. That's the sort of interesting thing. I've been working with them since I think 2013. Um, but initially in an only behind the scenes capacity, my series Bake It Up a Notch had already been out kind of for one full year when the pandemic hit. But I did have a new cookbook come out during the pandemic. It came out in the fall of 2020. My first book was called um, The Fearless Baker and it came out in 2017. And it performed, I think, like a lot of uh, first time authors books do perform, which was pretty well. It it um, got some great reviews. It was on the list of The New York Times best baking books of the year. Um, You know, it it received some some good acclaim. But certainly I was um, I was still kind of struggling to convince a publisher that I should write another one. You know, it was not not that successful that they were willing to take that other chance on me. but uh, I had a large piece come out um, 
the week of Thanksgiving in, in 2019 uh, in the New York Times. It was this humongous, you folded it outwards and the pies were printed life-size on the page. So they were nine inches and there were um, how many, eight of the pies. So it folded outwards and you held, I can't even hold my arms out wide enough on our screen today. It was, it was huge. It was my entire wingspan and it was in full color, just beautiful. It was one of the coolest things I'd ever been asked to work on. And it caught obviously my publisher's eye and, and they said, okay, you know, we know that the first time you wrote a book, you pitched a book about pie. How do you feel about writing that now? So I had been working on it. It was set to come out in 2020 um, in the fall. And um, the response to that book was also completely different. Again, after people kind of becoming aware of me, I feel like Pi still is having a very big moment um, where it's kind of come back and people are learning how to make it properly, just the same way that, you know, a lot of people weren't baking bread at home until they realized, oh, it just takes this same repetition right. and set of skills and, and pie is no different. So, um, but the scariest thing for me was the year that the book came out, there were, I think, eight cookbooks from, from all different authors, tons of acclaim in this bunch. And I was so scared about my book being one of many, um, you know, out in the world. Um, but between Pi's moment, between all of these things, the book, the book just, it, it hit the bestseller list. And it, um, that was, you know, the end of what had already been a very crazy 2020. And, and uh, again, was, was sort of the other big thing that, that changed a lot in the course of that year. Amazing. Is that book on Pi? Yes. The book on Pi. Nice. Everything you need to know to bake perfect pies. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Just book. <laughs> Book pie. Here you go. Well, it was my uh, my wonderful colleague, Caitlin Wayne, who um, assists me a lot. She's worked mm-hmm. on all of my books with me. She's the one that came over and we were had been talking about names for weeks. And she said, you know, I, I keep telling people that you're writing the book on pie, like it's the only one you'll need. And she was like, so I was thinking that's what you should call it. And I sent it to my publisher and they were like, yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Sometimes like the, the most simple thing that leaves your mouth is like, that's it. And you can't get past it, right? You just can't get past it. Absolutely. That's, that's amazing. So Fearless Baker, Book on Pie. You have another book coming out um, yes. October 11th, correct? Yes, very soon. I'm, I'm so excited. And, you know, the coolest thing now about this being time three the first time I was so nervous because I'd never done it before. The second time I was nervous because the first time while it had gone well, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, you get this feeling sometimes I think as an author or something like this may be my last chance. Like I may not get to do this again. Um, and so you, I was just so nervous. And I, this time I'm just enjoying it. It's like so wonderful to get ready to share with everybody what I was working on. I was a little more secretive during the process of writing this book than I was in the past. I still shared a lot, but um, there were just some things that I kind of wanted to keep under wraps. And so the other thing that's just so exciting for me is finally getting to be like, oh my gosh, there's like 250 things I've been keeping a secret from you for a really (laughs) long time. And here they all come at once. Yes, let's do this. (laughs) Savory Baking is the name of the cookbook which now we're talking like I don't have a I don't have a huge sweet tooth and I'm definitely not a baker baking intimidates the crap out of me 
But like <laughs> now we're talking like savory bacon, baking. So, I mean, kind of run through the list of like some of the things that people can really get excited about in this cookbook. Yes, I. So the subtitle I think describes it really well. The subtitle is recipes for breakfast, dinner, and everything in between. Right. And the goal of that kind of for me is I love baking. It brings me a lot of joy. People love eating the baked goods, but it does, I also don't want it to just be dessert. So um, I actually bake savory for the people in my life. I would say even more often than so this is how I'm baking for my husband a lot. This is how I'm baking for my, my parents and my family. Um, so uh, lots of things that you can think of, pizza, quiche, you know, kind of things that we already think of as being savory baked goods, but also lots of ideas that kind of turn things on their head. Like I wanted to take classic baked goods like a zucchini bread and make it savory. So I have this spicy zucchini bread in the book that is delicious eaten on its own with some butter or something, but it's also really good if you slice it and toast it. So it's like a cracker. Mm. Ooh, really, really good. Um, I wanted to use things like a bunt pan that you would use normally to make a cake. I wanted to use that in some kind of savory application. So I used it to bake a loaf of bread and turned it into like a giant kind of sandwich and you can slice it into wedges. Mm. Um, Anyway, it's there's definitely lots of ideas that are meant to kind of push the boundaries of what you are always thinking of. Like I said, like pizza quiche, those are in there. All the all the classics. There's gougere. There's um, you know savory muffins. I have a great corn muffin recipe that has an entire cube of cheese stuffed into the center. So when you pull it, it has like cheddar coming out. It's incredible. Um, and, you know, homemade versions of we have a recipe for mini bagels, you know, that are only yay big or so. And that's specifically so I can use them to make pizza bagels for the freezer. Of course. So, you know, there's all kinds of things, nostalgic things. There's a lot of inspiration taken from around the world. I think that um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that savory baking is far from a trend. It's definitely humongous in many parts of the world is the primary way that baking is being utilized. So flatbreads, there's a ton of flatbreads in the book. Um, and, and lots of things also where you can maybe make a dough and use it in a few different ways. So mm -hmm. trying to, again, like the book on pie, I always like to say that um, the pages are more than the sum of its parts because it's made to mix and match. And savory baking is very much the same way. There's tons of recipes but with all the ideas and tips and tricks in there there's almost twice as many as the ones you see on the pages so it's there's a lot in there and it's meant to not only inspire you to bake but also inspire you which baking doesn't always have a reputation for doing but to make it your own to mm -hmm. tweak it to add your own flavors mm -hmm. and and kind of adjust it and kind of have the confidence to be able to do that the same way you might if you're just making pasta in the kitchen and you want to add a little of this and a little of that, you know, you're able to do that a little bit, I think, in some of these recipes uh, with with some guidance. <laughs> of course. Whew. Well, congrats. Congrats on this. Uh, Thank you. This new cookbook. That's really exciting. October 11th, Savory Baking will be coming out. Yes. Um, and I, I do think it's an interesting point that you said when we when we think about baking, we do think about sweet, like sweet baked goods, right? Um, and you're 1000% correct. I mean, most of the baking that's done and even restaurants were breads and rolls and flatbreads and pizza and all that kind of stuff. So that is a really interesting point 
and something to point out that I feel like you're kind of with this cookbook. It's like you're kind of getting back to really the 101, the foundation. Yeah, yeah. And I think reminding people that if you love baking, it doesn't have to just be for your kid's birthday cake. It doesn't just have to be for the bake sale. You know, it can be making breakfast on a weekend morning. It can be making something from scratch that you use for lunch. There's a lot of breads in this book. And that's really exciting for me because I haven't done that in my other books. And I love baking bread. And all of the breads in this book, there's still varying levels of difficulty, but I definitely meant for these breads to be able to be worked into a life very easily. So there's a lot of breads that have overnight rises. Mm. There's a lot of breads that are very flexible to use so that you can kind of make it in stages instead of having it be this big, intimidating project. Right. Do you cook? I do. I love cooking. In fact, before we started talking, I was uh, making a big batch of tomato sauce while the tomatoes are Mm. still Perfect. <laughs> I, the, the tomatoes right now I saw on Instagram, I think you were munching a tomato. You're like, I'm not going to yes. let go. I'm not Just ready raw. to let go. <laughs> yes. Uh, it is not pumpkin spice time yet until at least October 1st. I've got to be tomatoing and peaches for a few more weeks. <laughs> I so agree with you. My grandmother grew tomatoes. And so I grew up in her kitchen Uh, cucumbers sliced cucumbers and sliced tomatoes with a little pinch of salt was a plate of that was at every single meal mostly because it's like you need to eat it up eat it yes yes exactly it's there's so much of it I always remember my mom um I, I she salted them too of course but the salt would dissolve so you didn't see it but she would always pepper the tomatoes And now that's what I always think of are these big platters of peppered tomatoes. And like, that is just summer to me. It doesn't even need any olive oil or anything. It's just like tomatoes. And I love eating them raw this time of year. So right over my shoulder, I'm going to lift that frame right there. That is the deconstructed tomato sandwich. It's kind of hard to see, but it literally is a picture of white bread, mayo, Sliced tomatoes, salt and pepper. That's it. And amen. I That's mean, as as close to religion as I probably have. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's incredible, and it's it's such a lesson in seasonality. I mean, actually, while I love I love every kind of pie, mm-hmm. but a huge part of what I love about pie is that seasonal element. Of um, I I just made uh, yesterday a plum pie, and you know it'll probably be the last stone fruit pie I make this year. Mm -hmm. And there's something so beautiful and a little sad about that. But it's like, you know, then next year when I eat it, it just tastes even better because I've been waiting. I so agree. I don't eat tomatoes really any other time of the year because if you're getting them from the grocery store, they're just not good. And so, yes, I do love I do love seasons for that reason. Specifically, the asparagus just tastes better in the spring. Tomatoes just taste better late summer. So, yes. And we should celebrate that. I think that's a, a huge thing to celebrate all the harvest. Right. Everything that's coming out for the seasons. Yeah. And it's also this time stamp. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, uh, oh, it's so-and-so's birthday and we always have a peach pie or whatever, because that's when it falls. I don't know. There's just something like 
for me, the seasons are this time marker. And also sometimes it's the thing, even as a, I sometimes need that encouragement almost like, oh, they're going to be out of season soon. So I got to get on this, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's time if I, it's literally now or never. And there's something I sort of love about that as a, as a source of inspiration or fuel as, as you love cooking and baking. Um, Before I hit record today, we were chatting about your signature bandana (laughs) in your hair. I mean, you're kind of known, I mean, you always have a bandana in for the most part. I do. And it's a, it's for a less glamorous reason than many people realize, which is that I've always been terrible at, at doing my hair. I, I have curly hair. Um, it's very Aww. fine in texture. And, um, you know, I have great hair days, but I also <laughs> am from the Midwest. And anyone from the Midwest, or if you're a Southern girl, you'll appreciate it too. You know, humidity and Ooh. very fine, very curly hair. Um, you know, it's always just been... I started wearing the bandanas, you know, just for fun, not every day, but a lot of times when I was a teenager. And then when I started working in kitchens, it was a way to keep the hair off of my face. And I, especially if I tied the bandana while my hair was wet, you know, I wouldn't get the little wispies coming out and coming down. So um, yeah, I, what is hiding under my bandana is usually slightly damp, very curly hair. (laughs) Yeah, anytime I go home to the south, it's like because I have super wavy hair. It's not even it's not even like the pretty wavy. It's just like a kinky kind of just it's not cute. And so the humidity really likes to show off kind of so totally, totally. I appreciate that. And the bandana is very utilitarian and it has served its purpose. And I will say that sometimes if I go out sans bandana I do not get recognized but in the bandana or if I have my dog with me I I am more likely to be recognized with one of those two things Mm -hmm. (laughs) um can we can we talk about your dog really quick we're gonna we're gonna wrap up but um Brimley right yes that is that is the pup Uh, the pup he is so sweet um I have two dogs myself so huge huge animal lover um when'd you get Brimley I've had him, I'm, we're actually coming up on his 10th birthday and I've had him since he was 10 weeks old. Oh. So, um, we will have been together for almost 10 years and he was born the week of Thanksgiving. So he's my little pie pup <laughs> and, um, we celebrate, you know, his birthday every year, the week of Thanksgiving. And, and I'm, he, he has really been my, my best friend in so many ways, but, you know, to go along with some of the things that we've spoken about he comes to work with me a lot, or if I'm working at home, he's obviously there. Mm -hmm. So all of my colleagues and people that I work with also have this relationship, which has been one of the things that's been really fun for me kind of through the years, looking back on my career, you know, Brimley is there all through it, you know, the entire thing. So um, I met my husband, uh, you know, we were obviously just, just friends, but I met my husband right before I got this dog. So he was the person who would dog sit for me if I went out of town. So Brimley's a part of my, my love story. Brimley's a part of my career. You know, dogs are always a big part of our lives, but Mm -hmm. 
is practically a baker. <laughs> Aw, well, he's adorable. And I just, I love a good dog story as well. We're going to wrap up and get to the final three. Before that, <laughs> I did have a question regarding you in the kitchen baking. Have Has there ever been a massive just faux pas, just like the biggest, like the biggest screw up that you can think of? Oh gosh. Yes. The, <laughs> the best one. Um, yeah. I mean, definitely. And I think actually in cooking and baking, and I don't even mean this as a larger lesson. I just think it is so true for cooking and baking that the best lessons are your failures, because when you mess something up like that, you almost never do it never again. Do it again. So it's like, whether it's you burnt something, well, you learned your oven better. You realize that your oven runs a little hot or, you know, there's all those little things that can be, but um, the worst disaster I ever had, it was when I was 16 and I was um, just still learning a lot and getting started. My grandma, to try to be supportive, had asked me to make candy for her uh, to give to people, you know, in her life, her neighbors and people from church or whatever um, for, for the holidays. So I'm making these, you know, Christmas tree chocolates and all of these things. And I'm, I'm having a pretty big blast doing it. Well, I had no concept of candy making. I did not understand the temperatures that I was working with, did not understand chocolate at all. Um, and I was melting chocolate over and over again in the microwave. And I was using glass bowls because I thought that every glass bowl was Pyrex. Like I thought every glass bowl was heat safe up to a certain, I, I again, no concept of what I'm doing. So at one point after heating a bowl many, many times in the microwave, it ignites in the microwave, fully catches on fire. I'm 16, I'm home alone. I open up the microwave, I put out the fire, I take the bowl out onto the counter. And of course, because I'm 16 and I'm freaking out, I call my high school boyfriend, shout out Chris Hurt. We're still bus buddies and he, he knows this. I panicked, called him. And as I'm on the phone with him explaining what happened, the bowl explodes, oh, no. sending shards of glass and melted ch burnt chocolate over the kitchen. And I clean it all up. Mm -hmm. Five minutes after that, my mom walks in and I'm just like waiting for her to say something. But I cleaned up well enough that she didn't notice anything. And then like 10 minutes later, she goes, what is that smell? <laughs> it was burnt chocolate. It was exploded burnt chocolate that she smelled. But I'll tell you what, I learned a lot about chocolate that day. You sure did. <laughs> and, and about fire safety. You sure did. Also, uh, you just pointed out another brilliant lesson in life. Kids take notes. My step kiddo would make a horrific mess of the kitchen, like making pasta or just things from scratch. And I would cut, there would be batter everywhere, all over the floor, underneath the cabinets. And at some point I said, Connor, you're doing this all wrong. If you clean up the mess so no one knows you were even in the kitchen. It's kind of like you can do whatever you want and I'll never know about it. So yes. <laughs> that is a huge, that is a huge life lesson, right? If you clean up your mess, no one's going to know. I know, I know we need to wrap it up, but what I, I just have to tell you very briefly that please, before I went to culinary school, my mom 
was always complaining about what she was very supportive of me learning to bake and all of these things. But the complaints, the size about because I would I would leave her kitchen a mess. I would break beloved tools. I would, you know, now she only has three of those glass bowls, you know, like all of these, whatever. (laughs) You know, I, I was a disaster. And then I went to school for the first semester of school. And I came back and my assignment from her was to make, it was um, Easter or some holiday. I was supposed to make two kinds of cookies. I made them, I cleaned up and I went to meet some friends for lunch. She calls me mad because she's like, what are you doing out with your friends? You have to make those cookies. And I was like, mom, I made them. And then she took a deep breath and she goes, damn, if that school isn't worth every penny. worth every penny (laughs) because I'd learned to clean, you know, and that's a huge part of cooking is learning to clean. And Mm -hmm. at culinary school, you know, there aren't people cleaning up your mess for you. You're doing it yourself and you're literally being graded on it. So I had gotten a lot cleaner and, uh, I still think that that is actually one of the biggest things I learned when I went away. One thing that surprisingly mom didn't teach as effectively as the instructors at school. Yeah. (laughs) My mom was very, very strict on me in the kitchen very much you clean up you clean up your mess and you put things back where they were and so now when she's in my kitchen she gets so irritated with me I'm like mom that this that's the towel that I use to dry off glasses that's the towel that I use to clean up the stove and she's like oh my gosh you are so controlling in your kitchen and I'm like well (laughs) I learned from the best A hundred percent. I mean, and my mom still won't let me load her dishwasher, (laughs) which I think is hilarious. Both my husband and I professionally not allowed to load the dishwasher because we do not know how we do not do it right. I, I kind of feel your mom. I, I will go behind someone and take out everything they've put in and put it back. Yeah. I'm that bad. I'm bad. I'm learning. I'm learning to let go in the kitchen. It's a special place though. And you know what? Your kitchen is your kitchen. And you know, especially if you're the one cooking, you're the boss. So, (laughs) you know, I interviewed Chris Kimball from Milk Street and he said something very similar. He said, I'm happy to cook for friends. Um, Don't help me. I don't want your help in the kitchen. (laughs) He's like, I just have a drink. Let me cook for you. And really sometimes don't, I I don't even need your help cleaning up because I, I want to, I want to be in charge of cleaning up too. So I'm not, I feel like I'm not alone there. But yes, you're right. Your kitchen is your domain. And if that's your place, then that's where you should take over, take ownership. Um, Aaron Jean McDowell, you are so much fun. We're going to wrap up a little bit and get to the final three. Uh, best advice you've ever been given? Well, I think the best advice I've ever been given uh, more recently is it's not no, it's not right now, um, which was I had been rejected did my I pitched a book it was a really good idea and um I held on to it I didn't you know scrap it entirely and uh the concept of that book was savory baking and it is now coming out in a few weeks so after being rejected 11 times uh you know five or six years ago it's coming to fruition in a very real way and I just think you know if I, I could have easily gotten discouraged, but that was very good advice that allowed me to hang on to it. Fantastic. So not necessarily a no, but not right now is. Yeah. Especially because I was told no, I was told 11 firm no's. Yeah. 
but the advice I received from somebody, uh, a colleague was don't hear it as no, Mm -hmm. just hear it as not right now. And so I, I took a few of those recipes, those savory recipes to a magazine and I published a story on savory baking. And that was sort of enough to like squash the creative flames a little bit and just feel like, okay, I put something out in the world with this idea. And then I used that magazine article to, uh, you know, convince a publisher years later that this idea had legs. Um, And so, yeah, it all, you know, very cyclical in that way. So when you, especially when you have an idea that you believe in, you know, you not saying that, you know, you're going to get rejected probably many times, but that uh, it doesn't necessarily have to mean a firm no. It just maybe means eh, it's not time yet. It's all about timing, right? Timing plays such a huge role in everything we do. And sometimes we're not, we're not patient enough, but I do like to think that, uh, and I'm stealing this advice from Andre DeShields, but slowly is the best way to get to where we want to be. And I think that plays a role in, in timing and that sometimes it isn't the right time. Um, but then you look back when it is the right time and you look at like what is happening in your life right now and you're going, the book is coming out October left. This is the best time for this book to come out. If it came out five years ago, it wouldn't have been the right time. So I love that. Very nice. Oh, a hundred percent. Especially when it comes to like, I learned so much from each book I've written. So mm-hmm. this book is better for the past ones I've written. It, it is the right time. And also, you know, uh, that rejection, you, you know, especially in creative endeavors, there's going to be a lot of it, but that it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not great. It doesn't necessarily mean that your ideas aren't great. And it also just might mean that you need to find the right place to put them rather than, you know, uh, rather than, you know, clinging to it, you know, so strongly. So I, I definitely just learned a ton from that experience. And it's been really validating, like seeing something that I've been, you know, working on in my head for a very long time come, come to life. I bet here it is coming out October 11th. Um, happy place. What's your happy place? Well, I know it's a little simple to say my kitchen, but definitely my kitchen. And I've been, I've been moving for the past, you know, six months. So I think I feel even more intensely about that Mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm mourning the loss of my old kitchen. I really miss it, to be honest. And I'm still not totally settled in my new one. But as I'm getting settled, um, you know, that that's a big part of it. And I think the other place would be like a really well stocked farmer's market, especially when I'm like the first one there. (laughs) That makes me about as happy as anything does. I'm just like, first, we got to do a lap, then we get serious. (laughs) <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. People who don't, who just like are buying things from the first boot. I'm like, people do with the lap. You've got to go and circle around. Um, okay. In all things food and drink, what do you crave? Cheese. <laughs> Period. <laughs> I was, I was gonna go on, but really it's like cheese and bread. I definitely like fresh bread, fresh, crusty bread, and like any good kind of cheese. And honestly, the funkier, the better. Mm-hmm. We love the funk. We got to have that funk mm-hmm. is how I feel about cheese. Um, but I think also, you know, anything that's in front of me right now, I can literally, I'm like, Ooh, yes. Mm-hmm. Recently I had the most intense craving for spaghetti and meatballs. And it's just because my mom said the word spaghetti. And I was literally like, 
don't do that to me. You can't just say spaghetti willy-nilly without spaghetti and meatballs immediately present. Agreed. So um, I'm, I'm easy to crave, but I, I think easy. I often order cheese instead of dessert, which kind of shocks people since I am a baker, but I just, I've been eating all day long. And that's like the one thing I don't always have is, yeah. you know, oh, they've got a cheese I've never tried. Well, I better get that. <laughs> I totally agree with you. And I'm, I play into my cravings all the time. If I'm feeling tacos, I'm making tacos. The other day I really wanted bolognese. So I made bolognese from scratch, let it simmer for hours. And we had spaghetti and bolognese and it was fantastic. And now I'm good. I'm good for like a few months, right? Oh my gosh. Completely, completely. Well, I just went last week. I was on the Oregon coast visiting Tillamook Creamery and I ate so much cheese. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was truly like the happiest day of my life. You know, you know, Disney, no, the happiest place on earth Mm -hmm. is Tillamook because it was cheese from morning, noon and night. uh, And then actually, no, that's a lie. It was cheese morning and noon. And then we moved into ice cream. Mm -hmm. So it was still all dairy all the time, but true kid of the Midwest, love my dairy, love, uh, love cheese. And, and you can't beat warm bread. So I'd probably take warm bread, you know, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yes. And I would just, I would just say next time you're in Oregon, in Southern Oregon, we have the Rogue Creamery where you will find the world's best blue cheese in the world. In the world. Oh, so. Uh, All right. I, I, I'm taking this to the bank. Okay. (laughs) Just going to throw that, just put that in your noggin. Um, Aaron Jean McDowell, you have been so much fun. And I feel like, um, I feel like you're a a friend that we've just, we're just, you know, catching up after years of, of not seeing each other, just gabbing away. Um, and I do want to just mention again, your cookbook, savory baking (laughs) coming out October 11th. Um, and people can really find it everywhere, independent bookstores and then online as well. Right. Yes, absolutely. Anywhere books are sold. And I do have a really cool deal where you can score a signed copy with my hometown bookstore, which is the Raven in Lawrence, Kansas, but they ship nationwide. So if you want a signed copy and you want to support a great independent bookstore, that's a that's a double whammy. Win-win. And in the meantime, check Erin Jean out on her Instagram channel where she's cooking up a storm, baking up a storm, um, and really just handing out tips and tricks along the way super fun awesome all right Aaron well, thank you so much for having me this was such a blast yay thank you you've been listening to hungry for more an epicurean's dilemma with me trish close you can watch this podcast and subscribe on my youtube channel just search hungry for more an epicurean's dilemma you can also listen and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts